Hi, this is Jonathan, and I play the human wizard, Jonathan the Magimuscular. Hi, I'm Jack. I play Trevancore, a half-elf Beastmaster Ranger. Hi, this is John. I play your half-orc barbarian, Carlton Tanks. Hi, this is Julia. I play the rock gnome cleric, Bernice Q. Burns. And I'm Lauren, your humble DM, and welcome to Distinguished Adventurers. Previously on Distinguished Adventurers, our heroes are headed to a very special concert in Waterdeep. All seven legendary instruments of the bards are to be played together for the first time in centuries, and thanks to their help in retrieving a few of the instruments, and the music the orchestra will be playing, our heroes have seats of honor at the concert. We join our adventure already in progress as they arrive at the outdoor amphitheater ready to watch the performance. It is the next morning. Travancore, I'm assuming you and Shadow are going your own way while the, the three other heralds are staying together to go to the concert, or am I wrong? Well, that's correct for me. I'm heading out on my own with Shadow. Okay. Then let's start with you and the other three. I will fill in in a moment. You head out in your absolutely gorgeous outfit. Are you just wearing the outfit or is this under over armor or is Shadow in his armor? Like how, how do the two of you look? In the, uh, gosh, I'm going to make a reference to someone, something only 20 people will get. In honor of the pink taco, yeah, I am wearing under armor. <laughs> Jonathan gets it. Under armor, I love it. <laughs> it's the Dude, it's the shit. <laughs> I love it. You stop by and pick up the the uh, spun, pulled, blown glass that you have commissioned. And what you are actually handed is a little wooden box filled with wooden shavings. It smells fantastic. Like, this box and the shavings must have just been crafted. It is fresh, fresh. And when the box is opened to look on in... Jorvas just kind of brushes a little bit away just so you can see the tops of these these creations, and they are magnificent. But now you can also see why they suggested that you bring it to the house and leave it somewhere where you're not going to be maybe carrying them outside or long distances because the chances of a breaking of a, an ear or a page or something is is quite large. And you arrive promptly for your breakfast date with Olivia Passerac. When you knock at the door, she answers, which is different than what you have experienced in the past because she has servants and staff who usually escort you into a room. But she answers and you see much like yourself. She is dressed in a very elegant, what would be considered a summer-ish dress. But it is also clear that artfully hidden under that dress, there's a little bit of padding. You suspect she's also got some armor, maybe hidden under bits and pieces of the dress. And she is wearing stockings instead of bare-legged or something else, which doesn't seem odd because even though it is very, very early spring, it is still a little chilly outside. But you also recognize that that's part of a gambasol. So she's done a lot of the same thing you have and is coming in fancy attire, but also is still wearing some protective gear. And she smiles at you and invites you and Shadow on inside and brings you literally into the kitchen, not to the dining room, not to any of the formal places. The staff is gone. You haven't seen anybody as you've walked on in. She just greeted you and brought you on in. And in the kitchen laid out is some fruit and a couple of crafts of juice and what essentially looks like a waffle iron. And she grins at you and says, you were so nice to bring me out to lunch. I thought I would make you breakfast. Have a seat. And she indicates one of the stools at the, the bar in the kitchen. Yep, and I make my way, but then before I sit down, it's like, oh yeah, I got you a thing, and I, I hand her the box. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. And she can kind of feel the, the weight and see that this box probably contains something delicate, clears off a space on the end of the, the bar, puts it down, opens it up. The three of you, because Shadow is there, smell that, that cedar, that fresh cut cedar of the, the shavings. And you hear her gasp a little bit. And she says, oh, 
oh my. And she very delicately, but very quickly, with with a lot of dexterity, just pulls out a bunch of the shavings to make room and then pulls up the the glass herald that had been rattling off her lineage the last time that you and everybody were here. And it's not a likeness of that person, but a very gorgeous depiction of that kind of person. Like you've given the basic description of that, uh, of who that was. And what's been created is a more generic person, but with exquisite detail in the dress, in the book. Like you could swear you see specific names in the book, although you know you did not give the artisan any names. The page of the book is actually upright a little bit. So there is just a leaf of this page of a of this book ready to be flipped. It is so delicately crafted. And she holds it upright in her hand and says, Travancore, this is exquisite. First off, thank you. That's this is amazing. And then she gently puts it down and she starts to pull out the the members of the trio that you had described. Same thing. They're not accurate depictions of those people, but they are exquisitely detailed, a set of dwarven bards, down to the finest hairs of the string instruments are like glittering spiderwebs. You you think you could breathe and they'd break. But she pulls them out from amongst the cedar shavings and everything seems fine. And she looks at you with these wide eyes, almost that childlike wonder, which is the first time you've ever seen her that relaxed. I must find out where you had these. I mean, unless you did, did you do this? No, I have a modicum of artistic talent, but I could not produce this. I'll take you there next time we're hanging out. This is absolutely gorgeous. She sets all four of the pieces down and then thinks better of it and very quickly but gently packs them back up in the box and puts the box kind of in a far corner where there's no chance it could get knocked over. She's like, I know the perfect place for that, but I don't want to take the time to do the rearrangements to make that work because we have waffles. Yes. But I will definitely have you back when I've got that uh, set up because those were absolutely gorgeous. And she leans in to give you a little kiss on the cheek. I happily accept. You hear Shadow behind you <laughs> as he kind of, you could swear, chuckles. <sighs> and unless there's anything you want to talk about, she makes you homemade waffles right there. Wow. And has fruits and uh, there's juice and she literally just cooks up waffles for you. And unless, as I said, there's anything in specific you'd like to talk about, it's just pleasant morning conversation. Yep. That's all we need. All right. We will fade away from that scene back to the Golden Rock Tavern. Bernie, Jonathan, and Carlton, I would love to know two, two questions. What are you wearing, if it's anything in specific? If not, that's fine. And two, are you all going to the concert at noon together, or are you going separately? Uh, Carlton will be going together unless anybody else is trying to peel off and do their own thing. Uh, and Carlton is the kind of guy that owns, you know, like, you know, there's that one friend that owns one suit and they wear it to all fancy gatherings. He's well, he's wearing his uh, Billy Porter inspired tuxedo dress that he wore at the opera. That is what he's wearing. Awesome. I love it. Because he owns one fancy thing. <laughs> now, like the opera, you had placed all of your weapons in the bag of holding and then had the bag of holding with you. Are you doing something similar? Yep, and it's going to be, like, kind of, I think we kind of styled it, like, a kilt pouch, like, last time, if I recall correctly. I don't know, but we can definitely do that again, Yeah, sure. but, like, basically, like, he's going to put all of his weapons in there, and he's going to, like, kind of, like, sashay it around him so that it's kind of like the, there's a technical term for it, I don't know what it is, but it's the fancy pouch that kilt people who wear the kilts sporin? have. Sure. Uh, you're the historian. I would trust your work judgment on that. But, yes, the, the fancy pouch. Okay. Bernie, how about you? Um, are you wearing anything in specific and are you bringing Cocos Newt? You do know that animals are allowed, especially if they're well-behaved like yours. Cocos Newt is coming. Bernie uh, has trust issues. Uh, 
So she has found a way, because, like, her armor, I think she's, since it's, like, what, it's early spring, so if we're lucky, it's gonna be 55 when the sun's fully out. Yeah, pretty much. It's gonna be comfortable during the concert, you know, if you end up, like, in the shade of a tree or if a, the the clouds, it looks like it's gonna be a pretty day, but there are some clouds in the sky, and there'll be those moments in where when the cloud goes over the sun, it'll be a little chilly. So Bernie has decided that um, the best course of action, since this is a daytime concert, is she talked to Gestalt a couple days ago about, like, actually just cleaning everything really well. And she has decided she's going to be doing, like, armor but make it fashion. And mostly since it's early, early spring and she's expecting it to be chilly, what she's decided to do to sort of hide her armor because she's little is she's going to like artfully have a very like nice lightweight coating slash suiting fabric that's like a lovely kind of shawl draped over her artfully. So she just looks very like very put together. Nothing's dirty. There's no stains. There's no gore or anything on anything she's wearing and she's done her hair and she's done her makeup so instead of like it's clearly her armor but it's like this is what I'm likening it to only because this is my experience if anybody grew up swimming they know this because they'd get these like catalogs for racing suits and it would be you know, like, God, this is like back when Summer Sanders was swimming. I'm dating myself. Uh, and she was in like all the Speedo catalogs. And so you'd be these like swimmers in their like modeling these racing suits, but they don't know how to model because it's the 90s. And they've got like a full face of makeup, <laughs> which always got to me because I'm like, why is your hair done? It's going in a swim cap. Yeah. But I feel like that's the vibe. It's like, hi, you don't look like you're going to fight anybody. You look like you're going to pose for an armor catalog. And so she looks she looks really nice. She's just um, got the trust issues. And she is continuing on her not, not making comments on uh, Carlton's life choices. And she all she does, she goes, So you have, like, everything you need in the bag of, bag of holding, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, to, to my knowledge, yeah. To your knowledge. What does that mean? I mean, I have all of the things I normally carry in the bag of holding, but there are known knowns and there are known unknowns and there are unknown unknowns. And I can't account for everything. So, like, there might be a situation that I don't have the thing that I need, but all the things I normally need are with me. But sometimes there's things that I don't need that I don't have. And is at this point that Jonathan arrives. <laughs> Jonathan <laughs> appears, he appears right behind Carlton, grabs his head, and utters the words of power. Hey, there's something uh, uh, you need that you didn't have until just now. Hey, buddy. Thanks, bud. Morning. And how does Jonathan look? Is he in anything different or is he just in his normal attire? So Jonathan the Metromuscular is going back to a similar look to that he had uh, at the opera last time. So it's the same overall robes, except the accoutrement is a little, is a little different. Uh, as a brooch, he has a seashell that's sort of adorned with, uh, with a little bit of driftwood and some palm. So it's like Aww. a little a corsage that he gave himself from the plane of water. And Aww. then his belt is also, it's something he picked up from Penelope last time he, last time he visited. Uh, and it's basically an elven belt that sort of like wraps around the waist. And it's got, listen, it's, it's, it's really, really going hard in the leaves of a Lothlorien sort of look. Uh, like, like if, if Jonathan the Magimuscular had been in the Fellowship, he would have gotten this fucking belt from, uh, from, uh, from the elves over there. But it's like, it's silvery and green and it's got like a, a leaf sort of buckle. And it, instead of like buckling in the middle, it like buckles on the side and like hangs down a bit. So mm -hmm. he's really leaning into the fact that he is, he's sort of alluding to planar travel. He's accepted that he is a planeswalker now and uh, he's going to lean into it. Awesome. And I'm assuming, I mean, Bucks can just come and go as they please. Does Bucks just look like Bucks, or is Bucks also adorned in some way? Bucks uh, was with me when we visited uh, Penelope, and he has a bow tie that is definitely leaf-inspired. Oh, And he looks dapper as fuck. Right answer. I love it. All right, the three of you know that you have tickets for seats in what is... It's not a box. It is apparently the VIP section 
which all of you would recognize in the semicircular amphitheater, are kind of the best seats in the house. So if you're picturing an amphitheater, the U shape of an amphitheater, you are middle two-thirds of the way back. Kind of the sweet spot. You are welcome to be there. You all know that several members of the Watchful Order are going to have their seats there, including Arasic and Balana Zadok. But you are not required to be in those seats. Would you all like to sit together or are you going to sit somewhere else? I plan on sitting with my friends. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to sit together. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan the Muscular is going to is going to sit in that area like so basically I figured Jonathan the Muscular is going to be the buffer between the Heralds of Greenest and the uh Watchful Order, some of whom Bertie hates. All right. I didn't say I hated them. Hate is a strong word. <laughs> I prefer vehemently dislike. Okay. <laughs> so what I'm going to say is, uh, because your seats are kind of directly behind Aras and Balana Zadok, they're, okay. they're kind of front center of your little area. I'll say that, that you're sitting behind and Carlton and Bernie are sitting next to you. Travancore, kind of same question. Both you and your date and your bear are... Welcome to sit with the Watchful Order, or you're told that Olivia Passerak actually has tickets because, of course, as a noblewoman, she has access to that kind of thing. And she's got some pretty nice seats. So you're welcome. Uh, she will either come with you into the Watchful Order seats or you can sit with her. Which would you prefer? So, like, how are the ticketed seats in comparison to the Watchful Order's uh, sort of area? Like, what, which one's just like... I don't know if better is the better rated for it, but like, what's going to provide for the best Sonic experience? It's going to be real close. Like, what she has, once again, if you're picturing the U of an amphitheater, the Watchful Order is directly in the center, about two thirds of the way back. Olivia Passeracs are left ish, two thirds of the way back. They're going to be better and worse in different ways. They're going to be just the tiniest, like, to your ears, because you are uh, trained in this kind of thing, to your ears, not as good of an acoustic experience, but because you will be slightly off center, it will be a lot easier for you to see all of the musicians, regardless of how they are situated, because you'll, you'll kind of have a, a, a little bit of a side view. So it depends on are you willing to give up a little bit of acoustic perfection in order to get a much better visual on potentially Soria. And I guess the other question I would have is how long would it take me to get to that watchful order area from where those seats are? I mean, it would depend on what you're trying to do. The seats in the amphitheater, it's a small-ish amphitheater. There's maybe about 400 total. And then there's going to be people out in the, in the green behind it. If there are people seated between you and the watchful and where the watchful order are, it could be crawling over seats. You're going to be like 25, 30, 35 ish feet away. But, you know, you're going to be crawling over seats and stuff. So, yeah, it could be awkward. Travicor thinks to himself, if there's trouble, I'll summon an eagle and fly over to my friends. And Travicor will take the ticketed seats. All right. I, I love how you're like, if there's trouble, I'll just, you know. Summon a ride. Okay. What's this? A ranger in the expensive seats? <laughs> mm. Yes, but a ranger in beautiful clothing. Okay. An ambassador general of a major country. You all arrive before the concert, and the place is packed. Those of you who are seated in the watchful order seats, it is the prime seats right in the middle. You just kind of come walking down from uh, the top of the bowl, down some of the stairs, and the seats are right there. Bernie, your concerns, any concerns that you might have had when you had seen how things were being finished up, evaporate from your mind. It is gorgeously presented. Any of the places where the grass was torn up have obviously been regrown magically or otherwise. It's not as much chairs as it is almost terraced concrete with fresh cushions put out to denote seats. So it's very easy to kind of move around and see around each other um, without having to get, uh, without having to move very much. There's ramps along the side for anybody that needs ramps. 
and it's a gentle enough grade down that uh, even two thirds of the way back, where the both of you, where all of you are, can very clearly see the whole amphitheater as well as the stage. The vast majority of people who are showing up are in some sort of finery, but like what most of you have chosen, it is finery with maybe hints of either, I know it's going to be outdoors, I'm going to be cold, or Bernie, you notice there are some other people like you who are like, eh, I, d I don't go anywhere without my armor, I've just shined it up. And you do get the sense that the vast majority of people who are seated in the ticketed area in the actual amphitheater are noble people or others of wealth or station who are able to afford to have purchased clothing that might have some protection to them. But you don't see any obvious weapons. There are guards around. You do see a number of the regular city watch. And uh, Jonathan, you actually do notice Captain Rifon Press in not just his epic duster, but in full Captain of the Guard regalia. He waves at you from where it's obvious that he is walking between guard stations. Travancore, from where you and Olivia sit in order to enjoy the performance, you can also see up on the wall because the amphitheater is pressed up against the wall of the city um, and is using the wall of the city as basically part of the backdrop. And up on the wall, you do see guards on a regular basis. In fact, probably an irregular, much more frequent basis patrolling. But everybody seems relaxed. Everybody seems happy. This just seems like, oh, you know, there's going to be several hundred people all here watching a concert. We should probably have some security. And on the stage, set up in two small rows with a seat in front of them are seven people who are currently, as you all are taking your seats and getting ready, they're currently warming up a variety of instruments. And you do see Soria. She's in the second row in the back. She is very preoccupied with what is obvious to anyone with any musical training, warming up her instrument. But each of you, each of you roll me perception checks. Oh, dang. Jonathan the Magic Muscular got a four. Oh, Jonathan got a four. Uh, Carlton? So with my plus 15 in perception, I got a 16. <laughs> Was that a natural one? That's a one. Oh, dear. Carlton, <laughs> why do you fail so miserably at, at seeing any details of anything that's going on? Carlton, like at when he was at the opera, he is way out of his like natural element. And so he is trying so hard to not like stand out and like make a faux pas that he is in his own head saying, Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't look there, what's over that? Whoa, 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 okay, that guy's doing this. Okay, I, I, make sure I don't do that, do that. And so he is just like blitzed into like full, don't fuck this up, Bernie will be mad mode. <laughs> All right, Travancore, what'd you get? Travancore got a 28. Oh, all right. And Bernie? Bernie got a 12. She's sort of, well, maybe, maybe like me, she's sundowning for some weird reason. I just got really tired. I don't know why. I just, oh. all right. Let me know if you need a break or if we need nah, to stop. No, we're good. Okay. Jonathan, I think oh, you don't notice anything special. And I think for you, it's probably a combination of taking in the sight of all these people and the concert getting ready and everything that you've kind of been building towards for a very long time. And also you have taken on the, I am going to sit and be the buffer between my friends and Olivia Pasarak, who is still there with Aras Zik talking amicably to the people around you. So you're, you're kind of focused in on that. Bernie, you do notice Soria in between tuning uh, she's playing the Klee Lyre, and for those that don't know, a lyre kind of sits on your lap. It's a it's a tallish instrument. It's got the the sound box on the bottom with two curling bits of wood that come up on either side, and it's got two different sets of strings around what you could describe as a fretboard, but it's not really. Um, it's gorgeous. It's, it's in blacks and golds. And as she's kind of strumming it and tuning it and fine tuning it, you you do notice she's doing the uh, look in the audience, look back down, look in the audience, look back down. And at one point she does make eye contact with you. And so I, Bernie just lifts her hand up and she like waves 
for the audience, I did just do a crazy eyed wave. And um, you know that she's seen you because she keeps her eyes locked on you for that extra couple of seconds. And you do see her give the the Aarakocra grin or her beak kind of opens up a little bit, but she does not wave back. She keeps her decorum. Travancore, same thing with you. You do catch Soria's gaze at one point. Do you do the same thing or do you just make eye contact? Travancore is just going to like, you know, kind of give a smile back to her. Same thing. She locks eyes with you, has an extra moment, smiles, looks back down. Travancore, with that extra roll, you notice two other things. Soria does make eye contact with both Carlton and Jonathan. So she does see that the two of them are also here in the crowd. You also see that Jonathan and Carlton are very distracted. But it doesn't seem to matter to Soria. Like, the important point is that they're here. You also are looking up at the top of the wall. And the back wall of the city that this amphitheater is pressed up against is an impressively tall wall. It is part of the main fortifications of the city. And there are guards patrolling it that you've been watching that there, there seem to be more guards. There's a place that for whatever reason, they're patrolling back and forth in your view. So it's not that they're missing spots that would be a problem in case there was some kind of security breach, but they're missing spots as though for some reason they are unconsciously avoiding something up there. It's like there's a dead zone that they won't walk near. And I'll even go so far as to say with that role, you get the sense that they just kind of are unconsciously doing it, that the the guards that you're watching go from left to right, hit a moment, and then for whatever reason, just kind of sidestep a little bit. They don't stay near the inner part of the wall. They just kind of move in a little bit. Hmm. Let me think. I'm probably too far away from my party to tell them we didn't cast anything like, like, I mean, even if we had, like, the concert's hours and hours long, so something like Telbond would not last that much time. I will say, you know, the concert is one hour long. Right. But you're essentially the same thing. Yeah, if you, by the time the concert's over, Telbond would be gone. Huh. How close are we to the, whatever would pass as an aisle? You're in a little bit, but it would be very easy for you to get to an aisle. Uh, And there's still a couple minutes before the concert starts. So Bucks is sitting on Jonathan the Mad Muscular's shadow, or uh, sorry, uh, uh, shoulder. Has Travancore and Bucks ever worked out a call and response? He being a bird and uh, Travancore being of nature? I don't think so, but here's what I will do, because you haven't brought this up. Here's what I will do. Give me a perception check for, check for Bucks. Sure. And this is at the Avantage. Uh, 19. Bucks notices Travancore... How does Travancore look in this moment? Travancore is going to basically be looking at that area where um, the guards are unconsciously avoiding it. He's going to be like, huh. And he's he's going to be look worried. He's going to be like, Tratches to like, wonder what to do. Like whether he's thinking in his head about like whether to try and flag. Like I don't think he even thought to flag looks down. Like how to come to whether he should step away for a little bit. Oh, yeah. He's, he's definitely thinking about going to them and like, give them a heads up. And Buck sees everything that Bernie sees. Bucks also sees Travancore looking worried. And what Bucks also sees is in that moment, Olivia turning to you, Travancore, and saying, is there something wrong? You look concerned. Yeah. So I'm looking at this patch of the wall here, and I, I share my concern with Olivia. Hmm. It's a little hard for me to see. Maybe there's, maybe there's something on the ground that they have to avoid. I mean... They're still doing rounds, but... Could be anything. And Jonathan Bucks relays this to you. I, I imagine he, like, gets up on one one claw and then taps Jonathan the Magimuscular's neck with the other. And he sends an image of what he saw to Jonathan the Magimuscular. Can Jonathan the Magimuscular figure out that that's probably where Thontorvrak is sitting? I mean, if you want to make that assumption. And he's going to... Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to be like, well, keep an eye on that area, Bucks. In fact, go tell Thontorvrak hi. And Bucks, I assume, would get wide-eyed. Mm-hmm. Because, <laughs> like, I, I feel like there might be a conflict of what Jonathan wants and what Bucks wants. 
we and you know Bucks just as well as I do. So what is what's the impression that Jonathan the Veg Muscular gets back from his little owl buddy? Tell me. So you say this to him. What is it exactly you want Bucks to do? I want Bucks to fl- literally fly over to where the void of the guard pattern is, park right next to it, and then hoot a greeting. Bucks will do this. What Bucks is worried about is accidentally bumping into something, but he shifts a little bit and fluffs out. Bucks is a brave little owl and flies off. <laughs> a little puff. Yeah. And so you all, well, some of you, I'll, I'll leave it up to you, but definitely Travancore watches this tiny little pygmy owl soars over the very, very shallow, shallow caldera of this amphitheater to then circle over what to anyone else would be just part of the wall. And you actually watch as a couple of the guards look up like, huh, owls in the daytime are not unheard of, but this is a little odd. Nothing that they're concerned about, but they're like, huh, owl. And you watch as Buck circles a little bit. And then, Jonathan, you get ascending. (laughs) (laughs) Good guess. Yellow. (laughs) And you hear Thontorvrak. Yeah. I'm assuming you're not sending me a snack. Jonathan the Magic Muscular is like, no, just just greetings from friendly neighborhood Jonathan the Magic Muscular. Uh, uh, just thought thought that was you. So Buck says hi, and uh, you can tell him to come on back. He's fine. <laughs> you don't get a response, but at that point, Bucks doesn't actually get anything from Thontorvrak either. But Bucks from you knows what's going on and quickly comes back. Uh, it is also at that point, Jonathan, as you are getting that, that Balana Zadok stands up and brushes herself off. And you can see she is still in her watchful order robes, but mm-hmm. she's in kind of her more formal robes. They've been pressed, digitated, clean and pressed and her hair and makeup are all done. And she stands up and kind of straightens and looks over at all of you and says, well, it's time to... Get the concert started, shall we? And without waiting for anybody to respond, she steps into the aisle where the stairs are and starts to go down the stairs towards the stage. And as she is walking down the stairs, the guards start to, they're doing the the very subtle, quiet hush that starts to propagate throughout the amphitheater. They're telling the people next to them, the concert's about to start. Would you please sit down? Concert's about to start. Would you please sit down? You know, asking people to please quiet down to take their seats. And that has a ripple effect so that by the time Bolana reaches the stage and mounts the ramp leading up to the stage, the amphitheater has gone very, very quiet. And Bucks lands on your shoulder and Olivia settles in Next to you, Travancore, and the rest of you kind of settle into your cushions and seats. Bernie, you can feel that Coco Snoot kind of feels the the shift in the air change, and he moves like just a micro millimeter closer to your feet and settles in a little bit. Carlton, you notice the feeling change in the amphitheater, and everything quiets down. And Olivia walks towards the middle of the stage. Literally to stand in the spot that you and uh, that Bernie, that you and Thunderwrack had stood in testing the acoustics. The Distinguished Adventurers are huge fans of Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. It's a Dungeons & Dragons strategy video game that brings together D&D characters from novels, adventures, and multiple live streams into a single grand adventure. It is so much fun to put together a formation that includes champions from our favorite D&D streams, books, and more. Every week there's something new happening in the game, and it's available on almost any platform. Need some loot to gear up your champions? We're happy to offer a free Electrum chest to all of our listeners. This week's code expires on February 27th at 8pm Pacific, so open up the game, go to the shop, and type in this code. A-R-K-S-K-O-L-A O-U-S-T. 
So use that code and let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops, back to the show. She doesn't seem to cast any spells. She doesn't seem to invoke anything. Her voice very clearly rings out, aided mostly by the fact that she is standing in the sweet spot. Although, everybody give me an insight check. Hmm. Inside. Bears too? Um, just from the four, the, the four of you. The four Elvenoids. Or sapients, as I'm starting to call them. Elvenoids might be as racist as humanoid. Trevenkor thinks to himself. I think sapience is probably, I've, I've used that or, yeah. Okay. Just noids. The noids. The noids. Avoid the noids, they ruin pizzas. <laughs> uh, Jonathan, what'd you get? I uh, got a nine. Carlton? Uh, Carlton got a 16. And Bertie? 23. And Travancore? 10. Bernie and Carlton, for whatever reason you want to explain with your history, backstory, whatever, you can tell... Let me put it this way. Jonathan and Travancore, she must just be used to public speaking. This must just be her jam. She seems to be up there addressing the crowd in a way that she's used to. Okay. Bernie and Carlton, there's nerves. She's nervous. And so she's maybe a little bit louder than she needs to be. And she starts to speak. And what you all hear her say is, An instrument of the bards is an exquisite example of its kind, superior to all ordinary instruments in every way. Seven of these instruments exist, each named after a bard college and crafted by the legendary bard, Balatir. He used them to test and reward his students at all seven levels of his colleges. Sadly, many of these colleges have been destroyed. The instruments long thought lost, and the symphony he wrote to unite them all believed destroyed. It has been my life's work to find all seven instruments and reunite them in a grand concert. And after many years of work, and the help of some brave fate changes, not only are all seven instruments ready to be played together by these amazing bards, but the original symphony that Folletier wrote to highlight each one has been found. Thanks to the hard work of our orchestra leader, Waterdeep's very own beloved Kriya Cloudfang, the music has been transcribed to modern notation and is now ready to be heard for the first time in living memory. The group will be performing all seven movements with only a moment's pause between each, a total of one hour of unique, very special music. And so we humbly ask that you hold your applause until the very end of the final movement. Though it will not surprise me if this performance leaves you all in silent awe once the final note is played. Thank you, and please enjoy the instrumental symphony by Folletier as performed by the Waterdeep Symphony Orchestra. And there is polite applause. During the polite applause, Jonathan the Metromuscular is going to cast, because it lasts for an hour, uh, Trucy. Okay. During the polite applause, Bernie wants to send descending to, um, Sauntor back, and she's gonna say, did you ask not to be mentioned, or was that a snub? Jonathan, uh, range out to 120 feet. You see the tip of his tail. Because 120 feet is just outside of, like, that part mm -hmm. of the, of where you think Thontorvrak is, but his tail is hanging over the side and down far enough that it enters your range. Okay. And at that same time, Bernie, you get a response to your ascending that says, that's a later note. And then the concert begins as Bellana has, during that moment and the polite applause, walked back up the, off the stage from the ramp, back up the stairs, and has taken her seat next to a raft. And... The seven movements begin. Each of the movements highlights one of the different instruments of the orchestra. This one being the first movement is it's slow. It's choral. There's shifting harmonies, but not really any specific melody. And this is the Anstruth harp that is being featured so that in the moments where this slow choral shifting 
miasma of harmonies stops or holds, the harp continues to play. It's almost soothing, but there's an anticipatory nature to it. It's got that opening feel to it. After a moment's pause, the second movement begins. This one is upbeat and bright. It features the Kenneth mandolin with its higher strings and its much faster chordal abilities. The female orc bard that is playing it, you can tell, has not only proudly practiced all of these quick notes, but she gives a little bit more of a cocky grin as she essentially shreds on a mandolin. And it is upbeat and bright. It's in a sonata form. And when it ends, it ends with a little bit of a flourish that you watch almost inspires people to clap just because of the way it ends. But everybody kind of remembers and is good. Is this the mandolin that Bernie made friends with? Um, yes. Bernie does a tiny, tiny unheard clap for her friend, the mandolin. Okay. The third movement features Soria on the lyre. It is melancholy and slow. It is, in a way, the exact opposite of everything you know about Soria, who is fast and bright and cheerful. But as you watch her play, as she draws her claws across the strings in slow, deliberate fashion, all sense of nerves gone. She is deep into this musical performance, and it is heartbreakingly beautiful. The fourth movement is featuring the lute, and it is a dance. It is a very kind of courtly, stately dance that it doesn't inspire swaying, but it almost has that waltz feel in where it's got a very nice rhythm and you you almost kind of want to sway a little bit, but it's a little slower than that. And it reminds many of you of very formal dances at, say, a ball. The fifth movement features the, the bandolore, and it is fast and humorous. It is a scherzo, and it has a mocking kind of flavor to it. And while you're all familiar with music that is basically a joke, this has a, a surprising meanness to it. It is a scherzo. I'm going to be that musician for a moment. It's a Russian scherzo. It is, it's mocking and it is a little nasty, but it ends with a little bit of a flourish and a grin. The sixth movement is the sittern. It is a strong and triumphant allegro that is loud and boisterous. It's almost a march, and it has uh, featured this sittern, which a lot of you have never even seen before. It kind of looks like a guitar, but it's got a lot more strings, and it's bright orange, and the fiery music that comes out of it echoes the fire that's kind of portrayed on the cover of this Saturn. And then the final movement features Kriya Cloudfang, who not only is playing the Olam harp, the harp that is the patron instrument of the Olam Bard College in Waterdeep, but she has been both conducting the orchestra and playing this piece. And now she is featured in a theme and variations as bits and pieces of each of the previous movements are highlighted and called out in a fairly upbeat tempo, but there is a darkness over it. It's like you're listening to the memories of someone who is old and is dying. And so it are these bright sparks of emotion and memory from the previous moments with this overcast of, I am seeing my life flash before my eyes. But it builds and builds and builds and gets louder and faster. And all of you feel your heart racing as you're reaching towards the end of this hour-long epic performance. And whether or not this is music that you enjoy, whether or not this is something that your character personally thinks is good, bad, or indifferent, you all recognize something special has happened, something unique, that these instruments are as brilliant 
and as absolutely incredible as you can imagine that you're watching some of the best bards quite possibly in the world at the top of their game playing something that has not been heard in living memory. And so as it comes to a a final climax, you all can kind of feel your heart in your throat. And as the final chords strum out, all seven of the musicians' mouths open as they've been gasping in their excitement over reaching the finale, freeze. And some of them look suddenly horrified as their eyes go black, and as black smoke starts to pour out of their mouths, spiraling up into the air. And within a second or two, as the last of this music is still echoing in the amphitheater, this smoke starts to coalesce 20 to 25 feet above the seven musicians into a bead, into a swirl, into a ball of inky blackness that explodes outward in a sonic boom that causes everybody to be pushed back. You all feel just the air push you back in your seats. And as you take that second to readjust and look up at this something in the sky, people start to cry out, guards start to cry out, and something starts to come through. I think that's the distress signal. And it would be, except as you look down, Soria, as well as the other six musicians, are frozen as their mouths are open and the smoke continues to pour out. Un- Willing or able to move? Bernie, give me a, an insight check. I got a one. Aww. Bernie, in this moment, why do you fail to insight any of the musicians? What are you actually looking at? I, what do you think she's looking at? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think Bernie is sort of actually, as this all happens, she's grabbing the, the bag of holding, which for some reason in my head when we do fancy things turns into a lovely little black beaded bag that Carlton carries around uh, and it's ended up in Bernie's lap in the same way that I used to put all my shit in my mother's lap when we would go places and she's sort of been like getting it and she's like change she's just like get change get change she's like she's kind of in oh shit mode so she doesn't know like she doesn't have like any extra anything to decide if Soria is alive or dead or in between and she's just like Carlton get your shit on get your shit on oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god (laughs) (laughs) she's like that is the and she's like she doesn't really I don't think she's like thinking about it she's like on the like her her freak out is she's on the 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 chair looking over where Travancore is sitting and she's like waving her arms like it's wings and she's like this is just stress <laughs> I think that's excellent absolutely two things one you do see Bernie I'm going to say because you are a cleric and because you are an expert in this you do think all these musicians are alive but they are obviously frozen in place eyes wide as this whatever is pouring out of them has created this this blackness above them. But I will say because of your expertise in being a healer, you do think even from this distance, they are still alive. You have no idea what condition they are in or anything else. The other thing I will say real quick is for those of you who are not in the Roll20, I would suggest that you go take a look as at this point, I have given you a map. For our audience at home, in this six seconds that has taken place as the end of this concert has happened and these things that I've described have happened, let me go ahead and describe a few things that you'll see on the map. You'll see the amphitheater. You will see where all of you are seated. You will see where Travancore, Shadow, and Olivia Passerak are. There are guards stationed around the amphitheater. Also, can I just say our seats are, I mean, you described them as being really good, but like, this is like prime. Like, this is like. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, you helped make this concert happen. So they put you in prime seats. You all see where Captain Rifon presses, who is kind of on the lawn just outside of the amphitheater, 
not that far behind where Travancore and Olivia Pasarek are. You see on the stage where all seven of these musicians are directly above them, 20 feet. It's not on the map because oh, obviously I can only do so many things in 3D. That's where this swirling mass of blackness is. Jonathan knows for sure. Travancore is pretty sure that Thontorvrak is somewhere behind the stage up on the wall, but none of you can see him. Uh, even you, Jonathan, at this point, the tail is not within your true sight. The only thing that is not on the map, because I only have so much time in my day, the entire rest of the amphitheater is filled with civilians of random sorts. Because it has only been about six seconds, because it has been very quick, because I kind of figured some of you would want to react, while there has been screaming and panic and yelling as people have reacted to what has happened, which is obviously not part of the plan, nobody has moved. So with the exception of the three places in where you can, where there are obvious stairs, one right next to where the watchful order people are, kind of down the center and the sides, everything else assume is filled with people. Bernie has stood up on her seat and is waving to Travancore. I'll say Olivia Passerak has, with a shocked look on her face, looked at what is going on and turned to you, Travancore, as she is obviously reaching into her own bag. Uh, what are you doing at this moment? Uh, Travancore is probably looking for the most open space possible so he can summon, uh, summon a fey animal, basically, summon an eagle, like he said he would basically do, so he can get over to his friends. It would kind of be on top of you like directly above you or you could you could technically try to move backwards you you can easily tell all of you can tell that the gathered assembly in this amphitheater are starting to get ready to run no one wants to stay near whatever this is so you feel like moving back might be a possibility without danger but you would have to do movement if you don't want the eagle summoned above you i think above makes the most sense actually that's actually a good point and then he's honest with olivia and said are you going to be okay do you want me to keep shadow with you I don't know what's going on. And you watch as she has pulled a dagger from her bag. And she says, I think I need to help. We need to help get people out of here. Yeah. I don't know what that is. And she stands. Okay. Um, summoning the eagle is an action? Yep. Okay. How many eagles are you summoning? Let's see. Summon animal. Conjure animals. I think I'm just going to do this as a first level spell. It's going to be giant eagle. Comfort eagle. Sierra of one. So I can summon, I think, up to two. So I'll summon two because I've always summoned two, just in case anyone wants to come with me or if I need help to, to sort of guide people out of here if they, anyone needs help. Okay. Two things happen. You summon these eagles. They're going to be golden spheres on here because I don't have eagles. So you get two golden spheres. Assume that they are right above you. Okay. They are fine. The people around you panic because, oh shit, eagles just appeared out of nowhere. The good news is, while there is panic, they're running, they're trying to run away from you and these eagles, and no one's attacking you, but the people around you, this has just caused more panic. I'll be like, I guess I'll have to say something. The eagles are here to help. <laughs> this Jeff is just going to say that. And most of the people around you, some of them hear you yeah. and stop screaming to keep running. Some yeah. of them are screaming at the eagles. I was just going to say, everyone, please evacuate. Oh, they're starting to. Jonathan, what are you doing in this moment? So Jonathan the Megamuscular, he's going to look over at his friends. <sighs> Time to go to work. And he is going to... Hmm. Did you cast Mage Armor today? Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it lasts for Just... eight hours. He cast it before the concert. Look, I gotta check on these things. That's fair. That's fair. While you think about that, Carlton, what are you doing in this moment? Carlton, has he finally fumbled out his, uh, his accoutrement? From the Bag of Holding, uh, a.k.a. his sword and shield and all that fun stuff. I, I'll say yes. That part of this is that you can grab your equipment out of the bag. And then and then what? Carlton's probably going to try to make his way to the stage to save Soria. Carlton, you eye the stage. There is a packed house running in the opposite direction between you and the stage. It's difficult terrain. It's going to take you a while, but you are getting ready to move in that direction is what I'm going to say. Jonathan, what would you like to do? Jonathan the Magimuscular is going to cast Time Stop. Ooh. Oh, Jonathan. Oh, no. What? 
Hold on a second. I need to check something. Wait. She has to roll for it. Hold on. Wait. You're casting time stop, right? That's a ninth level spell. That is a ninth level spell. If mm. Balana fucking Zadok is counterspelling my time stop. I fucking knew it. I was, you know what I was, my next action was going to be to push that bitch down the stairs and now I'm going to do it. <laughs> Jonathan. Yes. I am diagonally behind her. Can I push her? In a moment, I will let you. Jonathan, start to describe how you cast time stop. So Jonathan the Muscular sees this and he starts uttering the draconic words of, of the spell because it's just verbal. And he starts, it's basically like time and space bend to my will and, or not. You watch as you are getting ready to cast Time Stop as Balana Zadok's jaw opens up and almost unhinges in a very unnatural way. And she lets out... It's not a scream as much as it's this noise that's like white noise that blankets your area and it makes it impossible for you to speak. It's not a counter spell. So you don't get you don't lose your spell slot because you are in this moment unable to even speak as the air is just filled with this horrible buzzing as though she is intentionally crafting sounds to negate whatever sound is coming out of your mouth. And everything you say just turns to nothing in the air as she glares at you. And despite the fact that none of your words are expressed, she obviously has heard it. You are not the master of time and space. My lord is. And Bernie says, I knew it, you grody bitch. And um, <laughs> she's right next to Jonathan and she has been standing up. So Bernie has both the high ground, which as we know from Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and probably one of the few good things to come out of those movies, the prequels, that is not the entire Star Wars universe. The high ground means that she wins. That is the, the laws of the universe. And so Bernie, uh, she's going to hit her with Kevin and try to knock this, this woman down the stairs. You don't automatically win, but I will give you advantage on your attack roll. <laughs> All How right. about that? You can, you summon Kevin, you pull out Kevin and you can give her a whack. Okay, let's hope an 18 hits. An 18 definitely hits. Go ahead and roll damage. So here's my goal. In a perfect world, since we are, I'm looking at this and it looks like we're on an aisle. In a perfect world, Bernie hits her hard enough that she goes down the stairs. And a lot of the damage that she takes is falling down the stairs damage a la death becomes her. Well, here's what I'll say. You, you're definitely going to whack her. You're going to do damage with Kevin. We'll do a contested roll to see whether you actually can push her down the stairs with it as well. But give me that damage for Kevin first. Uh, three, because I'm not a hitty person. She got a little hyped up on that one. <laughs> but hey, I listen. Just, I'm not hard enough to push her down the stairs is all I want. I'm counting on this, the stone steps of the steep amphitheater to help me out here. So here's what I want. You definitely hit her. Give me an athletics check. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I will contest it with her acrobatics to see if as part of this swing, this is, this is not nece necessarily raw, but I will give you a chance. It's an 11. You whack her upside the head. It is technically only three damage, but as she says this to Jonathan, you then, you do the equivalent of the uh, cleric smack across the face. And you hope that it'll whip her around and send her down. But she steadies herself and wipes the blood from her cheek and looks back at you, Bernie. And then her eyes go black with white dots in them as she says, the Lord of Entropy arrives. And that is where we will pause. And the next time we get together... The Lord of Entropy will arrive. And yeah, Balana Zadok, 
You you've been I you've been suspecting it. her this whole time. I knew it. I felt and there bad. She is. But she was in league with a different person than we thought. She was in league I with felt. a different person than what you thought. Okay. Let me give you some experience. Four, sending to Rifon Press to save a lot of time, which both Lauren is the DM and Rifon Press really appreciated. Four, Bernie Carlton going for a spa day. And and then Carlton's incredibly sweet apology that I, I want to say he was thinking about the entire spa day. For Travancore, wearing the most amazing outfit ever of all time and still managing to wear his armor. And also for that idea of getting this spun glass. I, I thought that was gorgeous. For Jonathan having a corsage for himself, which I think was adorable. Technically, it's a boutonniere, but you know. Yeah, but I liked, I got myself a corsage. I think that was, that was wonderful. For all of you having very clear ideas about what you were wearing and where you'd like to sit, and for making it to the concert that I have to say has been five years in the making. We give you a total of 50,000 experience between the four of you, and the next time we get together, the Lord of Entropy arrives. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, then visit us at distinguishedadventurers.com. There you can find links to our podcast and social media, pictures and bios of our cast, info on our Patreon, and much more. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our patrons, and extend a special thanks to our top-tier patrons. Thank you, Megan, Lori, a.k.a. Calamity Jane, Sir Narvi and Sailor Tweak, John Adi, Linnea Boyev, Rebecca, a.k.a. Bunny Monster, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.